0: We're going to open up the Christian dictionary, and uh, what I like to call it is the big book of Christian words that most people don't really understand. Um, and 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 we're going to cover different topics throughout the year that are these good religious words that that a lot of churches and and people in ministry or people who have been in in Christendom for a while use. And 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 a lot of times even they use them wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, There's this huge collection of Christian words, right? And uh, some people call it Christianese. Anybody ever heard it called that before? Where you just use these words and they don't really make a lot of sense, but we all do a great job of putting on a face to act like we understand what they mean, (laughs) okay? Um, I was preparing for this and uh, I was actually uh, listening to a speaker uh, who's a, a secular motivational speaker. I um, he, he has spiritual and Christian principles in what he talks about, but he doesn't really claim to be like a Christian minister or anything like that. And he said, he said, um, have, have you ever got, been reading something and get to the bottom of the page and you don't remember anything you just read? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? I mean, it, I mean, we have people that are in school and students and stuff like that. And I know I just got my degree from um, Southwestern Christian University and I, I literally would have to read a page sometimes four or five times because it just, I'd get to the bottom of the page and go, I, I don't remember what I just read. And um, he started asking questions, what, why do you think that happens? Is it because you drift off somewhere or is it because you're daydreaming, you're not disciplined or, you know, all these things. And he actually said, what is scientifically proven is that when you are reading uh, and you hit a word that your brain doesn't know the meaning of, that a small part of your brain will actually check out and start looking through the Rolodex to see what the meaning of that word is. And we do it, our brains function so well that it, it just kind of, we subconsciously go there. And then if you hit another word that you don't really know, even if you made up the definition for it. You know, if you, and how many of you have done that before? Made definitions up of words and you, you act like you know what it means. Uh, and he goes, if you hit another word, even if it's a word that you've made a definition up for, if it really doesn't fit, your brain understands that it doesn't fit, and it'll check out, another piece of your brain checks out, and it goes to try and find the meaning of that word. And, and, and the more words that you really don't know the meaning for, the little bit more of your brain keeps checking out until finally, it only takes like three or four where the capacity of, of reading is checked out. And that's why we get to the bottom of the page and we go, I didn't really understand what I just read. And a way to improve our intelligence is to improve our vocabulary. And uh, he, he said, obviously, that, that in and of itself makes sense. But really what happens is if you improve your vocabulary, then when you read something and you actually know what the words on the page mean, you can actually grasp the full concept of what's being written on the page. So that's how increasing your vocabulary um, increases your intelligence. And so I, I, I've started looking at this as, as a way for our intelligence in the, in the, in our walk with God. It really happens all the time. I mean, I I grew up in a Pentecostal church in Kentucky and I would hear people talk about being redeemed and I'd hear people talking about, you know, I've been, you know, purchased for my salvation and I've heard people use these kind of words all my whole life. I mean, I'm saved, sanctified, you know, blood bought. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And they use these words, and, and I'd see people get excited about them saying, you know, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'd hear them say this, and I'd be like, and I'd see people getting excited about it, and I'd be like, well, I, I guess that's something I'm supposed to get excited about. And I'd be like, amen. And somebody would ask me, and I'd tell them, I'm saved and sanctified. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And I, and I didn't have any idea what I was really saying, but it sounded good, and everybody else seemed to be getting excited about it. So, and I, I honestly— would would not understand why people were excited about it because I didn't understand the terminology that they were using and I'll be honest with you I see a lot of folks that um that that do the same thing that there are terms and stuff that are being thrown around the body of Christ that we really have not gotten a firm grasp on but yet we know we're supposed to be excited about it and to be honest when you don't know why you're supposed to be excited about it But you're supposed to be excited. It can get frustrating, and a lot of people just quit. They'll just phone it in and just say, you know what? I'm not even going to bother with that anymore. And to be real honest with you, I've seen a lot of churches that actually completely take that entire section of the message of the gospel, and they just completely remove it because they never understood it to begin with. And instead of doing what we're going to do, where we actually are going to try and explain some of these big words and these big Christian words, and understand why they are important, and why they've been put into our lives, and why we should be excited about it. They just remove it altogether, and really, they're not helping anybody by doing that. And so today, I want to talk about righteousness, or being righteous. Um, you know, there's some folks that uh, w- would be sitting here, and probably tell us, you know, a good definition of righteousness. Now I grew up in the 80s, uh, was born in the 70s. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was around in the 60s, but righteous kind of made this comeback where it was like a a word that was thrown around for a while. It was almost like a, a like cool and it was almost like, you know, uh that it was a slang term for a while and 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 people would use the the term righteous bro a lot. Um you know, uh if you actually go and, and go to a, a website called urbandictionary.com, which kind of gives us a, a real close look at, you know, words that are being thrown around a lot today, you can actually go and look up the word righteous, and it does not sound like a Christian word at all, okay? On urbandictionary.com, the word righteous means um, containing the best possible attributable qualities. For instance, that lasagna was so Righteous. It also means awesome, amazing, cool, or exciting, often associated with surfers. Dude, that rave was so righteous, bro. (laughs) Did anybody see Finding Nemo? Now, my nephew learned how to talk from watching Finding Nemo. Okay, my 10-year-old nephew actually learned how to talk because they would literally put it on and hit repeat, and his first word was Nemo. I am not kidding. But um, there's a scene in, in Finding Nemo where his dad, um, is has been attacked by jellyfish and he's, he's kind of unconscious and he wakes up on the back of a turtle. Anybody ever seen that? All right, we're going to show that real quick. Let's just... Okay, grab shell, dude. Grab shell. Okay, grab shell, dude. Grab more associated with surfing. And, and, and really what you know, what they're saying there is, is it's awesome, it's cool. All right. Um, there's also one more definition in the in Urban Dictionary that's a state of extreme perfection per, perfection bordering on divinity that bestows moral authority on the subject. Here's an example of how they use that one. Okay? Did you see Chuck Norris kick all those guys in the head? That was righteous. <laughs> almost almost bestowing upon Chuck Norris and what he just do, did as him being a div, divine connection here on the earth, okay? It's almost like you're so good at what you're doing that you're almost in, in divine. Did anybody get into the Chuck Norris jokes when they came out cuz I did. I sat and laughed till I I mean tears rolling down my cheeks and and loved those. All right. Um, And so that's the other definition. Unfortunately, none of those are really what the original term righteous was for, or the term righteousness. All right, in Isaiah chapter 64, we read a really popular scripture about the term righteousness, and in verse number six, we see these words, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses, which I think is funny that it's plural. (laughs) Righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We will all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In Psalms chapter 37, verse number 25. Psalm chapter 37, verse number 25 says this, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Now both of these scriptures have different forms of the word righteous in them, or the word righteousness. Um, and, and they don't really fit with the definitions we read that the, that the world is trying to tell us this is you know, what righteous means. I mean, I don't read these and think surfer. I don't read this and, and look at that and, and think, yeah, that is like he's talking about a, an awesome wave there. I don't think that he's talking about that. I, I haven't seen the awesome forsaken. I, I don't think that's it. I, don't, I haven't seen the cool forsaken. I don't think that really works. I, I don't think when, he, when they said our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, I don't think that he's saying our awesomeness is like filthy rags. I don't think he's saying our coolness is like, it, it doesn't really fit here. So <clears throat> I went and looked it up in the Greek. And in the Hebrew, and, it's, and the definition is this, righteousness, now catch this, is the state of moral perfection that is required by God in order to enter heaven or to access his power in your life. What is he saying? You have to be morally made perfect in order to enter heaven or to access God's power at all in your life. Now, if we reread these scriptures using that definition in place of the word righteous, we see this. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our moral perfection that is required by God is like filthy rags. Now, that starts to make a whole lot more sense. Our moral perfection that is required by God is like filthy rags. Now, let's read the next one. I have been young, and now I am old, and I have not seen the morally perfect forsaken. Now, it starts to make a lot more sense when you read this, but at the same time, it's a little bit scary because it says to us, yes, our perfection, our version of perfection is not very good. We are never going to, you know, our our version of perfection is terrible. It's not good enough, all right? It is what God looks at and says, too bad, all right? Even though we may think it is. We may think that what we got going on is okay, but what he's saying is, is your version of what's okay and what my version is okay is not the same. But then if you go ahead and read here, David says that he has seen people that have been morally perfect enough that God didn't forsake them. So how can this be? If our version of being morally perfect isn't good enough, but yet David saw somebody have it good enough to where they weren't forsaken, how can this be? Some of you may be sitting there thinking, if we're supposed to be perfect in this life, there is no hope for me. And I would tell you right now, that's true because there's no hope for me. There's no hope for the person sitting next to you. There's no hope for the Pope. (laughs) Okay? On our own, there is no hope. And we're not saying that only people that have gotten a good enough relationship with God have any hope. That's not what we're saying. All right? Now, we have been conditioned in our lives here, we've been conditioned to kind of think of ourselves that way and to think of society that way. We've been conditioned to think, you know, that some things just have it and some things just don't. You know, it's almost like we look at some people and when they pray, it's almost like the heavens open up and the dove comes down like when Jesus came out of the water when he got baptized. And it's almost like when they say, oh father and they start to pray it's almost like the holy spirit himself shows up in the room and and kind of whispers in your ear and you feel the presence of god you know what i'm talking about there's just some people that can start praying and you're just like ready to take a knee and and I, i mean you're just ready you know what i'm talking about and it's almost like well they just have it and and i don't when i pray it feels like my prayer hits the ceiling comes back and slaps me in the face anybody ever been there Some, you know, we've been conditioned by our society to think that way, that some people just have it and some people just don't. I remember when I was 16, I had an 87 Firebird formula with T-tops, which was your typical 80s, you know, teenager type car, okay? I mean, I was, I had the acid wash jacket to go with it. I used to peg my jeans over and roll them up and I had the deck shoes with no socks, Anybody, children of the '80s, know what I'm talking about, and so and so I, that was me, all right. And I used to think that my car is just one of those days at the factory. My car was just put together a little bit better. <laughs> Anybody else ever thought that about your car? You know, you know, man, this car runs so good. I mean, it just something at the factory that day. They just must have been working perfect that day. Okay. Um, we have this kind of mentality that some things just click in life, and and something you know, um, th- this person just hasn't, you know, they're just they're just a little bit more slanted that way than I am, you know. They they just tend to get this a little better than me. They, you know, uh, they just have a personality that I don't have, or or I'm never going to be able to compete with that, or because they have it and I don't. And we give we, we we programmed ourselves to think this way, all right? You get around certain people and you know, depending on what you do and what they do, you get intimidated by them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time I preached at my church back in Oklahoma, um, and I I worked for a big church. I mean, we had 8,000 members. You know, that was intimidating enough to stand in front of, you know, four or 5,000 people at a time and and speak. But then to have the senior pastor of the church sitting on the front row with his wife, who were people that I looked up to and, and was really like, those are people that I'm like learning from and like, shaped my life into what it is and and I'm preaching while they're sitting on the front row and I'm telling you the first 10 minutes of my message was terrible because I I just had finally quit looking at them because they're just like looking back at me and I'm like I can't look at them I cannot look at that because and and the thing is is they really aren't any different than me he preached his first message in front of somebody first time I I got my father-in-law asked me to preach in in Hawaii one time at his conference over there and he's sitting here on the front row and he's another one that's kind of molded and shaped me. And then sitting across the aisle from him is John Bevere and Miles Monroe sitting right next to each other. And I'm on the platform preaching and I'm going, <laughs> stop looking at them. Look at the crowd. <laughs> <clears throat> that can be intimidating because we've been programmed to think that every, you know, certain people in life just have it more than we do. And sadly, that has crept into the church into thinking that some people are just more advanced in their walk with God than I am. And, and some people, God just, God just moved, loved them more, more than me. And, and God just, you know, they just got it more than I do, all right? And I want to say to you, is, what I want to say to you today is this, righteousness is this, makes us all the same, all right? We all, on our own, no matter who it is, all of us, if we stand before God on our own, are as filthy rags. All of us are all bad, all right? We, have all, we all have the filthy rag syndrome. Nothing that we, anybody can do, no matter who they are, no matter how spiritual they may seem, no matter how long they've been in the church and throw around the big book of Christian words, okay? They can't do anything to make God love them More than you, he loves you, he can't do, he won't move for them more than he'll move for you. Righteousness makes us all the same, okay? There is nothing that they can do that's going to change what God's done, okay? Let me put it to you this way. Everything that every person ever created, everything they do is bad. Everything. There is nothing, our ability to make ourselves worthy isn't good enough, all right? Our version of what is good and acceptable, the Bible calls filthy rags. So what does it mean to be righteous or to have righteousness? In Romans chapter three, verse number 20, we read these words. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights, By the works of the law, or basically what they can do on their own. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. God basically sent the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses to the earth to show us how bad we are. You know, it's impossible to really nail all the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. It was impossible to do. That's why God had to send his son who was able to do it. All right? Righteousness or being righteous is this, and this is the simplest I can make it right here. When people throw around the word righteousness or being righteous, they're talking about a gift from God. What kind of gift? Here it is. Simplest, stripped down version. Being given the moral perfection from God that God originally required in order to enter heaven or access the power of God in our life right now, all right? So it's been given the moral perfection from God that was required by God. So God didn't just first make this requirement that wasn't going to ever happen by us. God had this requirement and then gave you that requirement. It's almost like a teacher giving you a test and then giving you the answers to the test. This is what he did. This is what righteousness is, all right? Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God Almighty without the sense of guilt or without the sense of inferiority as if our sin never existed. When some, This is why people would get so excited about being righteous. It's because no matter what they've done and all of it was bad, no matter what they did, they could still stand in the presence of God and have a relationship with God. And let me tell you something, if that's not something that you can get excited about, you, you may need to even go back and look and see if you even have a relationship with God. <laughs> because listen, there is nothing, listen, even though society will program us into classes and program us into, you know, listen, none of that matters in the presence of God. But God's perfection that he required, he gave to us so that we can stand and have a relationship with him. And this is why people get excited about the word righteousness. It's the ability to stand in the presence of of almighty God without the sense of guilt and without the sense of inferiority. As if sin never existed. It's being made right with God because of your acceptance of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For he made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, now check that out. That's, that's, imp- that's important. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, not just for the heck of it, for us. Why? Because everything we do, is sin anything outside of this relationship? We're never going to be able to tame it. So uh, obtain this. So he sent Jesus to become the very thing that we needed to become. All right, N- who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become. Now here it is: the righteousness, or that we might become the morally perfect. Of God, but notice it's not just because God wants us to, it has to be in him. It has to be because of Jesus, all right? Accepting, when we accept Jesus as Lord of our life, righteousness makes us all equal in accessing God's power. Once, listen, because of what Jesus did, not because I'm any better or you're any better than anybody in the world, but because of what Jesus did, and this is a popular term right now, especially in the world, it levels the playing field. All right? Check this out. Everybody, because of what Jesus did, has equal access to God's power. Here's how this breaks down. All right? A sinner can access God's saving power, according to Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not those who are good enough not those who are smart enough and not those that just because people like them, but it's whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, whoever. What's that mean? Sinners have full access to God's saving power. Then all of those who are saved have full access to all of God's power. Are y'all doing all right? Everybody's looking at me kind of serious. I know it's a lot of information, but I'm just trying to break down this one topic for you. All right? Those that are saved, come on now, have full access to all of God's power. Acts 10, 34, and 35 says this, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him, and check this out, and works righteousness, or this moral perfection that's found in Christ, is accepted by him Now, if we skip down to verse number 44, it says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. What happened here? These guys that were not anywhere near the same as Peter and James and John and the fathers of the church. In fact, weren't even Jews. They They were Gentiles. They were a completely different race of people. Because of the righteousness or the moral perfection that Jesus purchased, this is why it says they were all amazed, because now the Holy Spirit, the full access to God's power, fell on somebody else besides them. This is what righteousness does for us. It levels the playing field so that all of us have equal access. Two more scriptures and we'll close. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives. Now I know that we're not talking about marriage here, but this is just so awesome that it's right in the middle of this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present herself uh, present her to himself a glorious church check this out not having spot or wrinkle or any th- such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish what is he saying here she can be presented perfect to him per- perfect she can be presented to god perfect. Why can she be presented to God? Is it because she just really took care of herself, went to the gym every day, ironed her clothes? Come on. You know, she ate the right foods. She, she did the Atkins diet and, and lost 10 pounds and just looked perfect. And no, no, no. It isn't because of that. It isn't because, well, you know, she just got good genes. You know, she just gets it. You know, she just automatically pretty. No, it isn't because of that. It isn't because, oh, is it just because she just really worked real hard at it? No. It's because he made her perfect and then presented himself back to himself. This is what Jesus did. By dying for the church, he made the church perfect. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Him, talking about Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man Perfect in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? You've been made righteous. You've been made perfect in Christ Jesus. It isn't because certain people are better or that God loves them more. It is the gift of righteousness. Being made morally perfect with God, by God, that allows God's power to work in our lives. The question is, are you saved? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? If you are, and if you have, listen, then you have been made morally perfect and you have full access to God's power in your life. If you've never been saved, you still have full access to God's saving power. And you don't have to, that used to drive me crazy. I would talk to my friends about coming to church and getting saved, and this is the excuse I would get. Well, I need to straighten myself up first before I come to church. Come on, anybody ever heard somebody say that? Listen, you can't straighten yourself up and get and come to church. It's coming to church and in a relationship with Jesus that is what straightens you up. It's like taking a bath before you take your clothes off. It's like it's never going to be right. It, it's, like, it's like standing at the sink and washing your face before you get in the shower. That doesn't make any sense. Righteousness and, and what Jesus did, making us at full access, is what straightens us up. All right? Now, this doesn't mean that we can live however we want to live. That's another, that's another word that we're going to open up and find out. That's called sanctification, and we'll talk about that later. All right? But it's because of Jesus, who was perfect, when we accept what he did, it makes us perfect. And I want to close by saying this: this is how important you are to God. This is how important the human race and every member of it. This is how important we were to God. I could quote John three sixteen. I'm sure everybody in here could quote it along with me. All right, but it says, "For God so loved the whole world that He gave Jesus to die for us." All right, we could quote that scripture, but listen. That's where we need to understand is this is how important we are. It's not because you know. God loves this person more, and he's not going to answer your prayers. Listen, you have the same access to the same power that this person who prays down heaven at the very opening of their mouth. You have the same access to the same power in your life right now. And if that doesn't make somebody say amen, you still aren't understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> Listen, the same power that you see all of these miracles happening all over the country, and you and you hear about you know, stories in the Bible, and you hear about old stories back in the old days of, you know, miraculous healings, and and you hear about things happening. Listen, you have the same access to the same power to work in your life right now. Why? Because you're righteous. You're You're as morally perfect as Tim Tebow. You're you're as morally perfect, you know, as Billy Graham. You're as morally perfect as Mother Teresa. You're as morally perfect as any of these people are. You stand in front of God appearing the same way as a super saint does. Okay? God wanted you to have full access to him, not by our own, but by the perfection of his son. He wanted you to have access to him so badly that he not only furnished the tools to build the bridge, he actually went and used those tools to build the bridge for you. He required righteousness and then supplied righteousness. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, you can stand in his presence not because of what you've done wrong or what you're doing right. You can stand in his presence because Jesus makes you righteous. It makes you perfect morally. And that's the first chapter of the big book of Christian words.